Okay, well, just to catch us up on where we are, we've been studying the gospel of Mark. And so far, we've studied Mark chapter 1, and we've been introduced to the person of Jesus Christ. And he is amazing. And we learned that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised deliverer, and he has power and authority from on high. And we have seen his saving power at work throughout Mark chapter 1, as he not only teaches with authority from God, but he also heals the sick, and he delivers people, even from unclean spirits. And so it's this awesome picture of the delivering God come to save his people. But you know what's wonderful? Mark's deliverance goes even beyond what we see in Mark chapter 1. And this week, as we get into Mark chapter 2, we find two stories at the very beginning of Mark chapter 2 that teach us that Jesus Christ is not only to able to heal the body and to deliver from spirits, but he is able to deliver us from sin itself. He is able to forgive sins. You know, it's not popular to talk about sin in Canada. Sometimes I, I think that the only acceptable uh, reason to call someone a sinner or the only sin is when you call someone a sinner then you're a sinner in the eyes of the world if you call someone out for their sin it's not popular for us to open our hearts to look at our lives and reflect on the law of god and see that we fall short of his glory we fall short of who he is. And so I want to take just a moment as we, as we come to these two stories that we would see how much we need forgiveness. Humanity was created to live under God's loving authority. We see this in the very first chapters of God's word and and yet when God looks at the people whom he has made and he looks out across the land to those who seek him of their own accord, the psalmist says something rather distressing in Psalm 14. The psalmist writes, they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Even together, the whole nation had become corrupted. Speaking at the particular time and place in Israel's history, but this bleak picture is carried forward into the New Testament. So we're told uh, it, this very same uh, Passage is quoted by the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Roman church. 
And there Paul describes the world as having turned aside from worshiping the true and living God to worship creation. And he describes the whole world in these terms in Romans chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, he brings up the Jewish nation. And the Jewish people had the perfect law of God, but Paul pointed out that they stood condemned under their, their very own law that God had given to them. If we today are to take an honest look at our lives, and at the law of God, we will find that we fall short, is that famous verse in Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says. Have you ever lied? Just even a little one. Have you ever stolen anything? Even a small thing, it doesn't matter what value it is. Have you ever lusted after another person or hated someone in your heart? Ever dishonored your parents? That's just five ways that we can break the law of God. And I would ask you to consider that. Don't harden your consciences to the law of God. Know what it says. And then when we look at our own lives, we fall short. We're in need of forgiveness. You see, the just penalty for breaking the law of God is eternal suffering under his wrath. The very last book of the Bible talks about a lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Those who have not received the forgiveness that is offered in Jesus Christ. Sin is a terrible burden. But into a world of sin enters a Savior. Jesus Christ, who can forgive sins. A Savior who loves to forgive even the worst of sinners who seek His forgiveness. When we know that we, that I, have sinned against a holy God, the wonder of the good news of Jesus Christ becomes truly apparent to us. Because here is someone who has the power to forgive us. Here is someone who can deliver us from the bondage of sin. Bondage that leads to death. Friends, into the darkness of our hearts, 
comes a Savior. Into the darkness of our world comes the good news that Jesus can forgive your sins. Yes, He forgives even the worst of sinners who repent and receive His forgiveness. We're going to read the first of our two stories in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. This is the setting of our first story that reveals to us a Savior who can forgive sins. Mark chapter 2 begins this way. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. This is speaking of Jesus. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door of the house. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So Jesus returns, and you can feel the excitement as a crowd gathers. They have been waiting for him to come back. He has been healing the sick. He has been delivering his people from the power of Satan. And uh, he begins to preach. And into this scene come four men carrying a paralyzed man. And they try to get to Jesus, but the crowds are too big. The doorway is packed full. And so they change their plans and they climb up the stairs to the roof. For in those days, the, the roofs were flat and often had a kind of a living area on top of the building. And so there were stairs up. They climbed the stairs. But then they have to dig a hole in the roof. Roofs were thatched. That is, they were of mud and straw and reeds put over a, a wooden framework that supported it all. And so it was baked in the sun and would have been hardened, hard enough to stand on and to walk on. And they had to dig a hole in that large enough to lower a man down. So they're clearing a hole and they lower this man at Jesus' feet. And you can probably imagine on the inside, there's the crowd, they're listening to Jesus preach and, and then there's some shock as some debris comes down from the roof and they wonder what's going on. Jesus keeps preaching and suddenly a man is lowered down. And it's obvious that he's in need of healing. How will Jesus respond to this? Well, Jesus doesn't view this as an interruption to be ignored. Verse 5 tells us when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. It's a wonderful verse. 
reminds us, first of all, that Jesus saw the faith of these men that brought their friend. It's interesting that Jesus points out their faith. He recognizes their belief in him in that they, they took their friend all that way, took all that trouble to get to Jesus because they believed that he could help their friend. You know, they did what a good friend ought to do. And those of us that know Jesus, we are able to do that. We are able to bring people to the one who can help them. Not thinking perhaps, that, oh, well, I can help. They knew they couldn't help this man. But they knew the one that they could bring him to. It's a lesson there for us. The faith that brings people that we meet, whether it's a close friend or someone that's a chance encounter, bringing them to Jesus Christ. The one who we here see can not only heal the body, but forgive the sinner. Jesus says your sins are forgiven. And this was an unusual thing for him to say. It is rare that Jesus pronounced forgiveness when he healed. And so some have then assumed, well, that means he was sick because of his sin. The problem is that we're not told it here. It's conjecture. It could be that Jesus knew of this man's sin that resulted in a sickness that he had. But it's just as likely that he's intentionally showing us that he is the authority to forgive sins. And he's also giving us another lesson here, not only of the faith that brings people to Jesus, but of the importance of coming to him for forgiveness of sins. You see, this man came with a need, a very obvious one a need for healing of the body, he couldn't move his legs. But Jesus addresses first his greatest need, the need for forgiveness from his sins. And so it seems to me that that is the reminder that is given to us here, that we would understand not only is Jesus a, a God, a Savior who can heal us, of bodily ills, he can forgive us of our sins. Mark doesn't tell us a lot of the circumstances around this man's sickness. He doesn't name sins for us or anything of the sort. The emphasis is on Jesus' ability to forgive and, and on Jesus' lesson to those that were there that rejected this good news of forgiveness. You see, there were some among them. Verse 6 of Mark chapter 2 says, Some of the scribes were sitting there, and they were questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. For who can forgive sins but God alone? 
And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said unto them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. The very beginning here introduces us to some characters, the the scribes. And uh, we're going to see them throughout Mark's gospel, taking a place most often of opposition to Jesus. They were not willing to accept who he was or what he taught. They objected, and here it begins with their questioning in their hearts. Now, the scribes, just to give some background, were experts on the law of Moses. They they knew it. They understood it. Some translations will translate the scribes as as actually lawyers. Now, they were lawyers uh, not in the same sense of a lawyer today. They were lawyers in the sense that they knew and taught the law of God as opposed to Roman law. And so they were experts in to what did God require of us? And they saw themselves as people that determined the boundaries of the law. People who determined what was should or should not be done on the Sabbath. We'll see that next week. Uh, what should or should not be done in various cases. And uh, they knew their scriptures very well. We, we should not fault them for that. They knew their scriptures. In this case, they were right in, in much of what they thought. They were right to believe that a man on his own could not claim to forgive sins. No man can claim that, for to claim that would to claim to be God who has the authority as judge to forgive sin, or to punish it justly. For sin, the psalmist David reminds us, is against God alone. So a sin that is committed against God cannot be forgiven by any mere man. Only God can forgive, and they recognize this. Yet they were wrong in their conclusions about Jesus. And Jesus responds by giving them immediate evidence of his authority to forgive. Something that they could look to and see that he was whom he said he was. He gives them a riddle in verse 9. He says, Why do you, uh, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise up, take your bed and walk. Well, Jesus delivers the answer here in pretty remarkable fashion. You know, humanly speaking, it's, it's easy to claim to forgive someone. 
I could stand here and proclaim forgiveness upon all of you, but my words would be mere words. Jesus is saying that he is going to give them something so that you may know once and for all that I can forgive sins. Here's something you can test. If you want to know that I'm a prophet of God, if you want to know that what I speak is truth, that what I say is sure, then watch this. Verse 12 tells us what happened when Jesus said, rise up and walk. The man rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. When that man walked, it was evidence that Jesus was not a blasphemer. He truly was who he said he was. He made it plain that this is no pipe dream. Because he, being God, has the power to forgive your sins and mine. Now a second incident takes place shortly after. And this incident takes us deeper into the heart of Jesus Christ, his heart of compassion and his longing to forgive. You see, it's one thing to say, pie in the sky, Jesus is up there, Jesus can forgive your sins, so on and so forth. But does he really want to forgive you? Many people in the pit of their despair over sin can't see the Jesus who's able to forgive. Can't see the Jesus who longs to forgive even the worst of sinners. And so we pick up the story in verse 13. We find Jesus going out again beside the sea. Uh, must have been more room by the lake shore than in that cramped house. And so he goes out and the crowd's coming to him. And he was teaching him them. And as he passed by, verse 14 tells us, he saw a man named Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now, Levi is either another name for Matthew, who we know in the other Gospels as a tax collector, who was also called by Jesus, or it could be that he is a James, the son of Alphaeus, mentioned in the Bible as one of the 12 disciples, or perhaps a brother of James. We really, this is the one account we're given of Levi. And so it's sometimes hard to know who he was. He could have been one of the 12. He could have been just an ordinary tax collector called by Jesus to follow him. We do know this. We know that Levi was a tax collector for Rome. And tax collectors were known for taking advantage of other people. They were known for being traitors to their country, 
They had sold out to Rome seeking gain. And so they were viewed as lying, disloyal thieves. And most of them lived up to their reputation. So here's a man who we might say has been living solely for himself, his own gain. And suddenly he leaps at the offer of grace through Jesus Christ. And he follows the call of Jesus. You know, for Levi, this was a point of no return. There was no going back to his tax business. He would have been viewed as a traitor to the, the Roman employers. He still wouldn't be very well liked by his own countrymen. They weren't ready to accept or forgive him. But Jesus changed Levi's life with that offer of grace, and Jesus then enters Levi's home. We pick up the story in Mark chapter 2, verse 15. And as he reclined at table at Levi's house, there were many tax collectors and sinners also reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many that followed him. And the scribes and Pharisees when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So marvelous account a true account of Jesus Christ and the life that he lived and the heart that he had for sinners, Jesus befriended some bad people here in Capernaum. He ate with drunks and liars and prostitutes and con men. Why? Why would he do that? To call them Luke's gospel, which has a parallel account, tells us that Jesus calls them to repentance. In other words, Jesus isn't about endorsing their sin. He's not about joining their lifestyle. He doesn't say to them, you're okay, just do what you want to do, and that's fine. Jesus invites sinners to leave their sinful ways and follow him. And you know what is beautiful? Verse 15 tells us that many of these sinners were following him. Those that he ate with there, they were holding on to his every word. They were desiring to serve him. These people that the scribes and Pharisees saw as too far gone, too unclean to come near. 
you know what, folks? We don't operate like Jesus. We push bad people away and we write them off as hopeless. But Jesus called sinners to himself to cleanse them. To, as he uses the metaphor, to, to, to uh, come to those who are sick. Sick of soul. Sinners in need of forgiveness. He came to say, you're sick. And I am here to help. Now, we may want to remember that we're not Jesus when we think about helping other people. It's important to be careful not to fall into the sin of others. There are other scriptures that warn us of this, that we should be wise and know our weaknesses. But you know what? Sometimes that's an excuse. And I think we can all grow to become more like him, befriending sinners wherever God has put us. Because that's what Jesus is like. And the forgiveness that he offers to us, we have the opportunity to offer to others, to bring others to Jesus. To call them to follow him. But I think the most striking thing in this story is the wrong attitude of the scribes and Pharisees put beside Jesus' pure and compassionate heart. You know, for all their proclaimed righteousness, they were just as sick in their hearts, in their attitude, thinking of themselves as, as better than that sinner over there. Well, Jesus doesn't call them out directly as sinners here, but he will in other places and at other times. And we're going to continue to see that opposition of those who think of themselves as righteous against the truly righteous one, the one who came to save sinners wherever they are, whatever they've done. The scribes were concerned more about ritual purity, steering clear of sinners. But Jesus' concern was for the sinner. The scribes were a bit like Jonah, who didn't want Nineveh to be saved. He was fine with God pouring out his wrath, but not his mercy. They were a bit like the elder brother of the prodigal, who thought his dad a fool for accepting his son back. Their God was an unmerciful God. We should be careful that we don't think of God that way. For God isn't like that. You know what? If he was, we wouldn't have hope today. Not even the scribes. 
whether we're making our own standards like the scribes and comparing ourselves to others or whether we get rid of all standards like so many do today and just ignore what God has said. Either way, the standard is still off. It's a lie that won't hold water on the day of judgment. Because by God's standard, we are all undeserving sinners in need of forgiveness. And you know what God does? He doesn't accept our sorry excuses for sin. He comes to forgive sinners, to offer a real, lasting solution, real hope of eternal life with the Father through his shed blood on the cross. Jesus comes to save those that recognize Look at me, I'm desperately sick and my heart is wicked and I have sinned against God. I'm helpless to save myself. Is that where you find yourself today? Uh, Having acknowledged your sin, having acknowledged your inability to atone for yourself? Have you acknowledged your need for a Savior? Now, I want you to know that Jesus can forgive, that he longs to forgive. He longs to forgive you no matter the depth of your sin. Seek his forgiveness. Come as a sinner. Answer his call. And I promise you that his grace, his goodness, his mercy, will change your life. It's God's grace that he comes to sinners like you and I. That he calls us with his grace. And it is his wonderful promise. I love this promise from the Gospel of John. Chapter 6, verse 37. Whoever comes to me, whether the Pharisee or the tax collector, I will never cast out. What a wonderful promise that Jesus is able to deliver us from our sins completely. Praise God for that.